You may be seated together this morning, and I'm excited to be with you today. What a blessing this series has been. I just want to say how very proud I am of our whole pastoral staff, Pastor Alex, our executive pastor, Pastor Jeremy Soto, our youth pastor. These guys had 50 Wednesday night. Dude, something happening, peoples. Come on. Just, uh, just want to say thank you so much to all of you who are supporting all of them. Pastor Haley did an amazing job yesterday. She's our children's pastor at Partnering with Parents. Uh, and if you missed that, man, I want to tell you, you missed out. Don and I were in on that. We've, we've been parenting now for over 23 years and still learning and uh, trying our best just to, to raise champions for the kingdom of God. How many of you want your children to do better than you did? Come on. Now, that's, that's, that's not just about a bigger car and a bigger house and more square footage, but it's about a life where they begin standing on the shoulders of their forebears, their parents, their grandparents, where we can stand on the victories and learn from the, the problems and the difficulties as well. One of the most difficult issues, I think, for all of us as humans to do is, you know, we all can do a good job, I think, going through the experience and learning from the problem when we miss it. God has put in the DNA of the whole universe uh, this thing called trial and error. If you don't get it right the first time, if, you first, if at first you don't succeed, then you what? Try, try again. And so basically, he's got this whole law of sowing and reaping thing working. And if something doesn't work, then you pick up and you try something else. And we know that we can finally arrive sometimes at a solution. Sometimes it's too late. We can get way ahead of the game if we'll just learn from the examples of those who've gone before us. Learn not only from their victories and their wins, but you know the amazing thing about the Word of God is that God doesn't just give us a book full of successes. He gives us a book filled with people who live life, real life, real people living real life in the real world. And sometimes it wasn't always pretty. Sometimes it, it really wasn't you know what you want to see on the cover of People magazine. Sometimes it was a little bit scandalous in the lives of the people of God. And I'm thankful that God didn't just record all the great stuff, but he also showed us, you know, where Abraham uh, uh, lied and he, you know, tried to give his wife up a couple of times to a king and, you know, just uh, to another guy. And Moses killed a man. David had an affair. And in the middle of all this kind of stuff, what, what is amazing to me is that God can take broken people and he can redeem all the junk in their lives and he can take the mess of their lives and he can make a message out of it. Come on, if you're going to give him praise, really give him praise this morning. I, I'm so excited to be with you today. I've already preached this once in the 9 o'clock service, but I'm going to tell you, there's just a different feel this morning in this one. The energy that's in the room, I just want to say thank you to the praise team. My man, Greg Lackey, is just flat doing it. Give, give the Lord praise, and let's give Greg thanks. Amen. I'm excited at what God's doing. I really do believe that the Lord has given us an amazing team here, and we love each other, and just seeking God and praying for you and believe God's going to do some amazing stuff in 2011. Anybody else have that hope in your heart? God's going to do some crazy, amazing stuff. I believe that. This morning, we're going to finish up this series. I'm sad to see it go because it's been an amazing series. We've done this thing called Fresh Start 2011. I started this thing, kicked it off uh, the very first Sunday in January, and we talked about beginning in our spirits, having a fresh spiritual start with God and the reason that I did that is because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, God would sanctify you holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, spirit, soul, and body. We're made in the image of God, and in his likeness, God is a spirit, John 4.24. 
They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And now, made in the image of God, he's made us to be a spirit. You're a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. Greek word, suke. My mind is what I think. My will is what I want. My emotions are what I feel. And then I've got all of that wrapped up in this body, okay, this earth suit that I have here. So I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. Say that with me, please. I am a spirit. I have a soul, and I live in a body. In the same way that God does, God is a spirit. He has a soul, his mind, his will, his emotions. And he lives in a body, and I'm looking at the body of God this morning. He dwells and inhabits the praises of his people. He lives in temples not made with hands. This building that we're in this morning, none of the beautiful edifices going up and down Missouri Street or crossing over the river into some of the cathedrals in Memphis, those are not the address of God. The address of God is right where you are if you are a born-again believer and you're inhabited by the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need somebody who believes that to say amen this morning. So we're all about understanding that God starts in our very core. He starts in the center of who we are. And this morning, before I jump into that any further, I just want to go ahead and get my text. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, reading it from the message. I love this particular paraphrase, translation of the Bible. Listen as I read. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. Now, Paul the Apostle is writing, and he's basically said in 13 verses prior to this one that he stopped at nothing in order to get the attention of the people And to put the gospel like a seed down into their hearts. As a matter of fact, earlier in the chapter, he said, Knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. Knowing the fear of God, the healthy fear of the Lord, I persuade men. And from that basis, he makes his appeal. And he says, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and the last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. Everybody say, focused center. All right, so we're moving out of a point of reference. The focused center is the work that God has begun in our spirits. We talked about this the very first Sunday that we began. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone also could be included in his life, a resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Stop right there. I love that. So much of the time, when we look at people through a carnal, worldly lens, then we tend to judge them by the square footage of their house, how, how big it is, how many, how many cars in the garage, do they have a boat, a lake house, how pretty are they, what kind of clothes do they wear, where do they work, all of these various things that basically the scripture says, these things are not what counts. These things are really not what makes an eternal difference and a significance in a man's life. He says this, he says, we looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Everybody say fresh start. He is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. I love that. It just speaks of life breaking out all over the place. Look at it. Verse 18. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start. 
by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. Man, that's good stuff. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Verse 21, and we finish the passage. How, you say? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, we acknowledge before you this morning that you're Lord of life, Lord of everything. We just ask you to come and sit down, abide in the praises of this people in this room this morning. Your word declares that in Psalm 22, verse 3. But you are holy, O Lord, who inhabits, who dwells, who abides, who joins, who marries the praises of Israel. God, we thank you for the richness of that, that you're in this place. That We're not just going through religious motions. This is not just empty ritual. Lord, the energy in the room is the very presence of the Holy Spirit here today to touch us and lead us and guide us and speak to us individually. Lord, this is not just for me this morning, but it's for that man sitting in the pew that's wondering, God, are, are you real? Are you in my life? It's for the lady who's sitting there lost and hopeless and searching. Holy Spirit, you come today and teach. You're the only teacher. I can't do anything apart from you. I acknowledge that before you and this people. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to understand and perceive the word of the Lord. We ask you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. Right out of the chute, I just want to say to you this morning that I'm excited to be with you today. I'm excited to bring this message to you. It's, it's all about setting things right. It's about recognizing that God has given us a fresh start this year. We, we began in the spirit, and it's like standing on a little bridge over a lake or a stream, and you take a pebble and you drop that pebble, that little rock, into that stream, and you see that, that it doesn't just close in and and become a little circle where everything's sucked into it. But no, it, it's not inward. The effect or the influence of dropping that rock into that stream or into that lake, especially something that's quiet, has a still surface, is where you can see this the best. You drop it into that lake, and then out of that little bitty spot where that first pebble entered, you start to see these ever-increasing concentric circles moving out from the place where that pebble impacted the water. This morning, as I bring this message to you, I want you to recognize that God began a work in you by planting the seed of the gospel. It is, it is upon the rock of Christ that the kingdom of God is advanced. It's upon the rock of Christ that the church is built. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so God takes the rock. It's like a seed. It's, it's not an inanimate object. It's a living thing. It's a seed that's dropped into the water of your spirit. And then it begins to ripple through. And, and the word has the ability to begin to bring change. And we started with our spirits in this series. And the next Sunday, Pastor Alex did an amazing job challenging us to recognize that our bodies are not our own, but they're the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that we need to take good care of them because God has a destiny and a plan for your life. And yes, you can cut it short if you don't take proper care of your body. 
And, and it matters what you eat and how much exercise you get and, and the, the condition or the, of the systems of your body, your lungs and your heart, and are all these things working together. And what you put into it is going to affect the amount of years and the quality of life that you can get out of it. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. You know, I wanted to... I wanted to say last Sunday when he preached, or the two or three Sundays ago when he preached about the fact that your body's a temple, I said, yeah, well, mine is a mega church. I just want to say. <laughs> so I didn't get to attend the Healthy Lifestyle class Tuesday, or Thursday night because we were at Abby's violin lesson in Memphis, but we're coming Tuesday. So if you want to get involved in that, this guy is our guru of nutrition. He he knows it, he walks it, he works it, it works for him. We had about 20 people attend the class Thursday. It's great. And if you didn't get on that, come back and get in on it Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. And it's going to give you some great principles for better, healthier eating, a little bit of exercise, how you can understand how macronutrients carbs and proteins and fats, how that stuff works together. And so I'm excited about that. I'm proud of, of what Alex is doing. Yesterday, Pastor Haley did an amazing job at partnering with parents. And, and this is what it's about. We, it starts with our spirit. The gospel starts here, but it doesn't just stay in this arena of giving you only a ticket to heaven. The gospel is so much more than a ticket to heaven. Uh, uh, American evangelical Christianity has truncated the gospel. Literally, we've cut the chest out of it. Uh, the guts out, uh, have been removed from it. And, and it's almost become, if you'll just pray this little short sinner's prayer and shake the pastor's hand and you know drop your check in every now and then, then you've got a ticket to heaven. You've got some fire insurance from an eternal hell or a punishment from the wrath of God. And I think that is just such a ridiculous caricature of the real true gospel. There is so much more to this thing that God has for us in the other side of glory, but also on this side. Come on, somebody. Point number one, the gospel is more than a ticket to heaven. It's comprehensive. Everybody say, it's comprehensive. Now, everybody in the room that drives in Arkansas, it's the law. You're required to have liability insurance. You get out here and you're, you're tooling down the road, down the highway, and, you know, you hit somebody, it's your fault. Liability pays for the other person's car. Now, you're out of luck, baby, if you don't have anything beyond liability. And so many times, folks look at the gospel just as liability. Okay, I've broken the law of God, and I'm going to make sure that I make my way to heaven and I can stay out of hell. And that's basically kind of the lowest possible cheapest insurance you can buy. But I want to tell you the real gospel is not just liability, but it's fully comprehensive. It covers everything. The devil breaks in and steals something of yours because the gospel is comprehensive. It's going to restore what the enemy is trying to steal from you. What, what, uh, the Joel chapter 1, what the palmer worm and the canker worm and the caterpillar, what they've eaten, the Bible says, I'm going to restore it to you and I'm going to bring it back to you and it's going to be better the second time around than it was the first time around. Come on. The gospel of God is comprehensive. It touches every area of my life. It is not just about giving me peace with God, knowing that God's not angry at me anymore. Knowing that God is, is not walking in the post office of heaven and seeing my mug shot under a most wanted sign. He's basically said, no, that's my son. I'm at peace with him. Things have been restored. And it's from that place of wholeness and restoration that those concentric circles, the ripples of the gospel begin to move outward and it starts to touch my body and how I live and choices that I make. And it starts to affect my finances. Pastor Jeremy came in the next week and 
He showed us that, you know, it's not just about taking the stuff that I make and my, my job and my vocation and, and using these dollars at whatever whim or desire that I have, but it's about being a faithful steward and living a God-centered, gospel-centered life and being a faithful steward over the resources that he's given me and learning how to invest that in something that's going to have an eternal value. Not just laying up where moth and dust corrupts, but laying up something in the treasures of God in heaven that I learn how to give when God instructs me to give and bring the tithe to the Lord and put my trust in God. And when I put my trust in him, God has an amazing way of blessing everything else that I put my hand on. Come on, somebody. So the gospel begins in my spirit, but it starts to affect my body and choices that I'm making and how I'm living. And it moves into my finances and my checkbook and my calendar and how I spend my time. And it moves from that arena to how I'm treating this most amazing woman here on the front row who's been with me 25 years. I love her dearly. She's the most incredible woman on the planet just because she's put up with me for 25 years. Don't anybody say amen right now at that point. (laughs) And it moves out of that to the love that we have and the two children God's given us and doing everything we can to build into them a sense of faith and Identity in Christ and destiny that, God, you are a young champion, Abigail. Drew, you're a man of God. Andrew, your name, man who can be trusted. And and investing and building in and blessing our children. And it moves out of that to the point where we are this morning. It's not just about getting saved so that you have a home in heaven. It's not just about knowing that the promises of God also bring healing to my body. That God will heal me when I'm sick. It's it's not just about getting the promises of God on my finances and quoting all my favorite prosperity scriptures. Psalm 35, 27, the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. Are there any servants of God in the house this morning? You ought to know that one. God wants you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. You ought to be a Psalms 1 people planted like a tree by streams of water. Leaves don't wither, bear fruit in season. And whatever you put your hand to, baby, it is the gospel Midas touch. The blessing of the Lord is on it. God will bless it because you are blessed by him. But it doesn't stop there. God doesn't just give us all of these great things and the benefits of the gospel so that we can spend them on ourselves, but it's Literally, so that we can continue that focus, the gospel of God propels us outward. Everybody say outward. All right. Look at this verse of scripture. Acts chapter 15, verse 9. I'm going to grab the very last phrase of chapter, verse 8. It says, Peter is speaking and they're fussing at the council of Jerusalem about adding all of these new Gentiles. And basically the Jews, there's a group of Judaizers among the group that have said, hey, listen, these guys can come in, we'll receive them, but they've got to become good Jews before they can become real Christians, which means they're going to have to obey all the ceremonial and civil, not just the moral law that God gave Moses, but basically all the the, the laws about clothing and what you can't eat and what you can't eat and all of these different kinds of things. And for sure, all these Gentile men have got to be circumcised. Got to take care of that. So Peter basically stands up and he says, now wait a minute. Just a few weeks ago, I'm at Simon the Tanner's house at Joppa and the Spirit of God, I'm on the, on the roof of the house praying. By the way, I've been there at that very place, stood on the roof of that house overlooking uh, the sea there at Joppa. And uh, the Lord shows Peter, puts him in a trance, and he sees a sheet come down from heaven. And literally in that sheet, there are all manner of all kinds of unclean animals. And in the middle of that, God speaks to Peter and he says, arise, Peter, 
kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. And he says it to him the second and the third time. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And then God speaks to him. He says, Peter, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. And there's a knock at the door. And they've sent a word from a man who's seeking the face of God. His name is Cornelius. He's the head of what's called the Italian band. And so they're over there and they're seeking the face of God and they bring Peter and they bring Peter back and Peter stands up in Cornelius' house and he begins to preach to all these Italians. Now I imagine they had a pretty good time. I mean, this is Olive Garden times three in the middle of the Italian band, the Reginellis, where somebody from Perry's family was there. The Italian cohort is what the King James says. And so he's preaching. He doesn't have three or four sentences out, and he's enjoyed the fellowship and the wine and the cheese and the pasta. They've had a great time, and Peter stands up to begin to preach the word, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls slap, man, in the middle of all of those Italian people, and they begin to sing and, pr- and praise God, and they're, they're, they're speaking in tongues, and all of a sudden this dramatic outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord takes place right there. A bunch of, a bunch of, I can't get it out. The rest of the message will be in tongues. <laughs> Among a bunch of Italians, a bunch of Gentiles, folks who by the Jews who had all been considered to be as dogs. And Peter says, this was his response. He says, he gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as he gave him to us. He treated the outsiders exactly as he treated us beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed him. Now find one of these screens and on the second line right after us in the comma, I want you to read it with me. Here we go. Let's do it together. Beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed him. What I've been, ta- I've been talking to you about through this whole series. You get a fresh start in your spirit first. And God drops a little seed of the gospel down into the murky waters of all the mess of your life. In the middle of sin, in the middle of addiction, in the middle of brokenness, in a relationship that you feel like has no hope and can't be fixed. In the middle of something that you feel like you're looking up through the bottom of, of, of a murky, dark lagoon and you can't figure out what's happening in your life. If you just in that moment say, Jesus, I need you, save me. He has a way of dropping that seed of the gospel down into the middle of all of your mess. But you know what is so amazing it is he loves you like you are, just right like you are. But he loves you so much he won't leave you like you are because the gospel, come on, Mm. the gospel has a way of getting down just like you take a seed that looks like it's not even alive and you push it down into some soil and you put a little bit of water on top of that and you just turn around in a couple of days and that thing that you didn't think had any ability to do anything starts moving dirt out of the way and a sprout comes up and all of a sudden there's some fruit God wants to take every mess that's represented in this room and just drop this little all-comprehensive seed of the gospel down into it. And he has a way of penetrating the corner 
where you don't think anybody can see, where nobody knows, the dark places of all of our hearts. Everybody in the room has one, has some. Nobody in here, I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, is perfect. Nobody is finished in this place. Jesus hung on the cross and he said, I have finished it for you. Come on, somebody. Mm, 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 mm. I believe that the application of the gospel is a remedy to every problem that we have on the planet. It is a seed that will get down on the inside of you. You continue to walk in it and let it work on you. You know, out of your spirit, then you begin to get into the word of God. And all of a sudden, this thing starts shedding some light. The entrance of your words gives light, the Bible says. And it's amazing how... Uh, what is it, Romans 12, 2? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That Greek word transformed is metamorpho. You had it in 10th grade biology. It's the metamorphosis of the caterpillar to the butterfly. God takes something that's nasty and grubby, and he, he puts his life into the middle of it, and it dies, but it comes out something entirely new, a whole new creation. That's, that's the message of the gospel right there. That's the good news. I can't do this by myself. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Don't even act like you don't know what I'm doing. You've been to Beale Street before. You know a little bit of blues. I said I can't do it by myself. Mm -mm -mm -mm. You know what? You don't have to do it by yourself because he's already done it for you. And the grace of God... That is the catalyst, that is the motivator, that is the only true change agent will work on you. And it will work in you. But it doesn't stop there. Number two. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Ooh, I feel good. That's just, just totally different than the first service. First service was good, but this is real good. Amen. My, my, my. Maybe I needed the first time to practice it. I don't know. Number two. Living a gospel-centered life means living out the mission. Living a gospel-centered life means living out the mission. We are on a mission. We are called to be missional. That, that, that's a word that has come to the forefront in the last five years or so in church growth. And let me just say, I'm not about growing this church. I'm about making this church healthy. Every little child in this room that's born to you as parents, if they are healthy, it will, they, he, she, will naturally grow year by year. They mature, they progress, they learn from their mistakes, from their past, all of those things. This church will grow naturally if we are a spiritually healthy people. You can employ a lot of stuff to get something and get a crowd and draw folks in, but that just because you've got a crowd doesn't mean you've got a church. I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful that we are seeing God transform lives and we're seeing a church grow that understands the mission that God has called us to. Living gospel-centered lives means that we live out the mission. We cannot privatize the work of God. It must be experienced in a sent people. What does that mean? You know, I grew up and we'd have missionaries visit from foreign lands, uh, from Africa from the Caribbean, I always felt called of God to go to Hawaii and be a missionary. 
as a matter of fact, I'll just tell you, I, always, I said for years when I left here, I'm never coming back to West Memphis, and God laughed on his throne, slapped his knee and said, I got something up my sleeve you ain't even seen yet. <laughs> and I figured out that, you know, you never say never to God. And so when I figured out that you don't say never to God, I start saying, I'm never going to plant a church in Hawaii. I'm never going to plant a church in Hawaii. <laughs> and for some reason, I guess after I learned that, that it doesn't work anymore. So uh, anyway, I just don't tell God never because it's, <laughs> it's amazing how he can work things out in the way you don't expect. And we had missionaries that would show up and tell their stories, and it would, it would amaze me and fascinate me how people would pick up out of living a life in a culture, speaking a language, enjoying food, family relationships, American morals and ideas and values and all of those kinds of things, and they were willing to take their families and lay down their lives and go to a foreign country somewhere, have to learn a whole new language, learn to like food that was just flat weird, I've eaten stuff, it would absolutely, and I know lunch is really just a few minutes behind, but I, Guangzhou, China, I hate cobra soup, baby. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> Everything, I mean, imagine. I'm gonna tell you, I was in Indonesia. They, they, I found a little kind of a pot paw. It was like a pot pie that I figured out wouldn't hurt me, and I had some of those every day. They would go to Jakarta to the pastry shop and for the preacher from America, and they would bring me a pot paw. I loved it. I said, praise God. Some stuff I'm gonna tell you in some nations that I've been in, I felt like I had to pray in tongues over it to bind every evil thing that might be abiding in that before I put it in here. <laughs> Didn't have good water to drink. They handed me some wine. I said, you got anything that's about 90 proof? I want to kill. <laughs> okay, I shouldn't have said that. That was Dennis the Menace and not the Holy Ghost. Um, I'll, I'll leave that alone. All right. And I was doing so well, wasn't I, before that? Living a gospel-centered life means living out the mission. It means I realize that I'm called to something. We all recognize the place of missionaries, but we've lost the understanding of that in the American church. We, as the people of God, are sent to this city. We've been called out of darkness. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Victory is a people. Victory is not a place. Victory is not lights and, and equipment and stage and chairs and, and, and all the stuff that we do. It's not a cool coffee bar and great classes and all this stuff. Victory is a living, breathing people of which I am looking at this morning. And you are called of God, made in the image of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. And it's not enough to just say, well, I don't really, I'm not called to be a speaker, and so I'm just going to write a check and I'll send this to the missionary and make sure that they're warm in places where it's cold and they've got an air conditioner where it's hot and they've got a car to drive and, and food to eat and their children are being taken care of. Let me tell you something, that's great and it's wonderful. I love that. And we do that. Matter of fact, Aaron Daigle sitting here this morning just got back from several weeks in Germany. Great mission trip, great experiences. God moved. Let's give Aaron a hand this morning. Come on. Amen. Thank God for missionaries who are willing to lay down their lives and pick up and move to somewhere else. But I'm telling you, this whole concept of having a mission and being missional means that we realize that God has sent us to the delta to not leave it in the shape that it's in, but to take the gospel of God and drop it down into the murky, dark waters of racism. 
into all the middle of the mediocrity and the ignorance of the Delta, to the lack of acceptance, to looking at men based on what they have and the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. God has called us as people to live out of that kind of focused center, that kind of acceptance so that we can move out of this place. Don't just revel in the fact that we're having a great time. Man, there was so much energy in the house this morning. Pastor Greg did an amazing job and Pastor Michael preached. Hallelujah. It's great, but go beyond that. This is just a huddle on the ball field and we're supposed to break this huddle and go out those doors and we're supposed to be on mission, on task. To take light in the middle of all the darkness, to take the love and acceptance of God in the midst of all of the brokenness. You're going to walk into a restaurant today and the little lady who's going to serve you laid down on her bed this morning and thought about taking her life because she's fighting an addiction. And you're a Christian and you're going out of here with your tank full of the Holy Ghost today and you're going to mouth in her face about the fact that she didn't get the tea to you fast enough. She needs to see Jesus in your eyes. Come on. Everybody in this room has a story. Everybody in this room is currently in the midst of some kind of struggle. Nobody is complete and perfect and finished except only in Christ. He looks at you and he sees the finished product. You look at me and you say, hey, he's a pretty good guy, but man, he's a little edgy sometimes. And all. How many of you know none of us in this room is perfect? We need to recognize we all need some grace up in the house. Come on, somebody. We, we privatize it. We talk about my transformation, what the gospel's done in my heart. You know what? All that's for a reason. He heals you. He blesses you. He prospers you. He extends your family and brings you influence because he wants you to touch your neighborhood and your job. Quit grousing about the fact that you're the only Christian there. You are the light. Turn on the candle, baby. Trim your wick. Light, get lit for the gospel of God. Come on, somebody. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our tendency is to take the gospel and make it a private issue, privatize it. When God's grace is working on us and in us, it will also work itself out through us. The gospel propels us outward. God's grace is the driving force for all change. Listen to this. Matthew 28. Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's not just for the missionary. It's not just for the platform preacher. Man, Pastor Jeremy, he's preach. He's moving these youth. Listen, this is not just for the 12 disciples 2,000 years ago. This is for every believer who has Jesus living in your heart. God has commissioned you. You are called. You are appointed. You are anointed. You are sent to the Delta. You are a missionary. We have a missional purpose. We have a mission. And it is mission possible. It's not mission impossible. Because we have the Holy Spirit. And with God, all things are. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise.
God's eternal purpose is wrapped up in this phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord. Say that with me. Jesus Christ is Lord. We, we, we put a theological term on it and call that the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. Kingdom is a combination of two words, king and domain. The, the domain is the area over which the king rules. So you put king and domain together and you have the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. He's the king of my life. He lives in me. When I'm born again, the kingdom of God is advanced. As I'm preaching to you this morning and you sense life surging in you and your faith is growing because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the kingdom of God is advancing. When we're able to, to take a brother or sister and bring them out of darkness into light and God touches their lives and transforms them, the kingdom has just advanced by one soul. When I obey the laws of the land and I prosper because I do so and the blessing of the Lord's on my life, I'm advancing the kingdom of God into my family. When I train my children to put their trust in God, I'm advancing the kingdom of God. Sometimes these are things that you can't see because Jesus said in Luke 17, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You can't figure this out the way you can look up here and predict the weather. Many times you plant a seed and it's under the ground for a season. You don't think there's anything going on, but God's building a whole root structure before that thing ever breaks through for anybody to see it on the other side. God does things internally, but the work of God never remains only internal because if it does, it would rot. It starts internally and it moves out to the external and the gospel propels us outward. The gospel is comprehensive. I'm living on mission now because I am sent. Victory has been called out of darkness, out of sin, out of addiction, out of habits, out of brokenness into the marvelous light of God so we can show and demonstrate the kingdom of God to the people of the Delta because people are sick and tired of dead ritualized religion where everybody except God shows up in the house. What is different? I'm not saying we're better. There are a lot of great churches in this city, and there are men standing in the pulpit right now wrapping up their messages just like I am, and people are responding to Christ. But by and large in the South, we are captivated by a spiritless, presenceless, just go through the sickening motions. I'm sorry if I'm a little over the top this morning. I won't do it. I'd rather just quit and go join the country club. Moses said that in Exodus 19. He said, God, if you don't go, I'm not going to lead these crazy people you've made me the leader of. If you don't go, we're not going. We can't do it without you, God. You're going to have to go before us. There are giants and there are seas and there are, there, are, there, are, there are walled cities and there are all kinds of things that are out there in front of you. And I'm telling you, you cannot do it by yourself, but you're not in this thing by yourself. Come on, you've got a pilot sitting, not in the co-pilot seat, but in the pilot of your plane, and his name is Jesus. Put your hands together and give him praise. I'm finished. Number three, the fresh start is just the beginning. Messiah gives us a ministry and a message. Oh, that's fine, Pastor. Man, you, I, you inspire me when you preach. When Pastor Alex preaches, man, I'm just, he's on point. I'm there with him. Man, Pastor Jeremy any of these great men, women of God that we have in this house. Do not think in terms of these are, these are promises only for specially called people. Every one of you in this room is called of God. That's what the Reformation dealt with was that priestcraft system. One Bible chained to one pulpit in every village. and It was written in a language that people couldn't even speak. The Reformation shook the world because a little... 
fat German beer-drinking monk by the name of Martin Luther defied the papal rule, and he started translating the Bible into the German language so the people themselves could understand it. <laughs> Gutsy little cuss. October 31st, 1517, wrote down 95 things that he felt like had to be changed. Not trying to pull out people and start a Lutheran church, just trying to start a reformation so some things could change and that the Spirit of God could be restored and people could walk in the assurance of salvation. He began to preach justification by faith because God took the word and he shook Martin Luther. And out of Galatians and Romans in the book of Habakkuk, he started seeing the just shall live by faith. And the gospel penetrated a man's heart and it shook a society and then it shook the world. Don't tell me the gospel can't change a nation. If it can change your life and touch your family and get everything in order that's just a big blob of chaos, it can also shake a people and bring true revival. Not just revival that makes you feel good for a couple of weeks and then you're just back right down to the same old pattern of living. But real, true, life-changing reformation comes when the gospel of God gets down on the inside of you. Listen. I'm reading this from the ESV. It was the passage we started with this morning. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Look at your neighbor and say, sent representatives. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Greek word reconciliation is the word katalage. And it literally means to adjust for a difference. Reconciliation is... Is a, is a big Bible word. And I, I, the best way that I know how to give it to you in the closing moments of this message is to remind you that you actually do this every month. When your bank statement comes, you sit down and you do a bank reconciliation. You reconcile your checking account, what's in the record of your checkbook based on what the bank says you have in there. And sometimes there's a difference and you have to adjust to the difference. Katalage, to reconcile is to adjust to the difference. You settle the accounts. And as a matter of fact, that's even in the context of this passage when it literally says God was in Christ reconciling the world, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. God, katalage in Christ, he adjusted for a difference. He reconciled the accounts. And on your account in heaven, God has already dealt with the situation where you are spiritually NSF. Every one of us are bankrupt before God. Nobody in this room is good enough. We are, we are in the hole of sin. God says in Christ, he's the heavenly bank examiner who comes and sets all the accounts right in the cross. The debits and the credits are all equaling now because he took his righteousness 
off of his account and he put it onto mine. And he took the debt of my sin. He owed a debt. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Amazing grace is now the song that I sing. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. He came and reconciled, katalage. He adjusted for the difference. And now this Bible says, now because he's done that and I get a fresh start in the Messiah, all things are made new. The old is gone. I've got a fresh start. I'm new in him. He says, now he's given to me and to you, everyone in this room who've had that fresh start, he's given to you the ministry of katalage, the ministry of adjusting for the difference. Oh, it's so easy to look around and see how people do us and the things they say and to get offended and want to cut them off. But you know what? A true reconciler says, no, somebody adjusted for my difference. I'm going to reach into an impossible situation. I'm going to love and serve. And you notice it's verse 18. He says he's given to us a ministry of reconciliation. It's verse 19 that he says he's given to us the message or the word. I don't think it's a coincidence that he said we had the ministry before we had the message. Some of you are going, I don't, I'm not following. The word for ministry there is diaconia. It's like the word deacon in the local church. It's a servant. It's a ministering servant. We are supposed to serve the people of the Delta and adjust the difference of what God says can be and what we see that right now is. And as we serve them, I think so much of the time we feel like that we're responsible to take this word and get up in their face and preach to them. You know what? People aren't interested in what you have to say until they see how much you care. That old adage says it this way best. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. And they're going to know that we care by getting up and serving underneath the underprivileged and the poor and the broken, the, the, the battered women whose homes they can't go back to, the, the, the indigent and the helpless and the hopeless of society that we're just all basically expecting the government to take care of. And the government never can do a good job at that. Whether I'm going to tell you it has nothing to do whether a, whether a Democrat or a Republican's in office. That is not even the issue. It's because it's the church's job to speak to and minister and serve the needs of society. I don't care whether you clap or not. I'm preaching so good right now. God's standing up listening to it. That's the truth. We are called first to serve. And if we'll learn to serve first, our serving and our hearts of acceptance and love opens the ear gate of them to hear what we have to say. So if we this year can walk out of here and realize, you know what, man, it's great to put on a serve shirt and serve everybody in here because for the most part, we pretty much like everybody in here. Most of you. I'm just kidding. It's something else to, to clothe myself in an attitude of servanthood and walk out of here today realizing when I walk through that door that I'm called in the middle of darkness and I'm maybe the only light. Quit grousing about the fact that you're the only Christian at work. You're there for that reason because you need to trim your wick and light your candle and show up on time and have a great attitude and love Jesus and love people and don't complain about the boss. Pray for him or her. Come on, nobody said amen enough. Say amen. Come on. 
if we'll serve, then it'll open the door. Then they can hear our word of reconciliation, what they have to do to get their hearts right with Jesus. St. Francis of Assisi said it this way, and I'm finished. He said, everywhere and at all times, preach the gospel. And when necessary, use words. Everywhere and at all times, preach the gospel of God. And when you find it necessary, speak words. What does that mean? The lives we live, the actions that we do, the way we behave, the way people are going to see us interact in the restaurant after we leave here today. The things we choose to say and how we deal with circumstances so many times are so much more important. That opens the door for people to hear from us so that we can be on mission and we can see the kingdom of God advanced. One more life changed, one more soul changed. You're called. You're a minister of the gospel. You're duly deputized, the delegated of authority. The delegated authority of God has been given to you. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go. I give it to you, in other words, Jesus said. Literally, that means as you are going into the world, as you drive across the bridge tomorrow morning to go to your place of work, as you get down and go to the field, to the pasture, to the back 40, start getting the equipment ready to, to plow the ground, to plant the seeds this spring. You're looking at the projections. And you've got to make so many sales. All this stuff that you're doing, God puts you into a network of people. and You're going to be in contact with people. They've all got a story. They desperately need what you're carrying on the inside of you. Is your Christianity contagious? Will it affect somebody if they get it? Will it infect them if they get around you long enough? Bow your hearts with me, please, this morning. Gracious God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessing upon us in this service. Lord, I believe I can say with confidence that I've delivered the burden of the Lord. Thank you, Father. In this room, there are people that are sitting here today that are facing circumstances that they believe are impossible. They know there's no way for it to change unless you show up and change it. Lord, there are so many different things that we face in all of these other peripheral compartments of our lives. God, I just thank you that we've heard afresh today that the way we can see all that other stuff get in line is to start at the center and be focused in the center, to start with our spirit. And the way that you do that today, everyone sitting under the sound of my voice, is you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You put your trust fully in him. You don't have to have all your theology right. You don't even have to understand a lot of what I've said this morning other than just understanding these words, Jesus, save me. The people in this room, your marriage is on the rocks. There are folks in here today that you're fighting an addiction that nobody else knows about. There's, there are all different kinds of stories and helplessness and hopelessness in this room. And I want you to know that that will only begin when you start at the center and let God drop that little seed of the gospel right down in the very center of your being and your spirit, and he'll begin to transform and change. And you do that just by simply saying, Jesus, save me. You turn to him, you turn from your past, he'll give you a fresh start. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just want to ask you right now, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I will not call you to the front, the altar. 
right where you're sitting right there is a place where you can make and meet Christ right where you are. And if you'd like to be included in this prayer as we close this service this morning, I'm just going to ask you right now one time, very briefly, if you want to be included in this prayer with every head still bowed, every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand so that we can pray for you right now? I see one there. There's another one here and one back there. Another one over here. Yes, another one went up over in the front. Yes. Anybody else? Give you just a moment. All of the folks that are in the room right now, you know Jesus. You know that he's in your heart. I want you to pray with me as I invite all of these who've raised their hands, still eyes closed, heads bowed. I want you to pray out loud heartily with me right now. Say, Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. I have heard it. I receive it. I thank you that I'm not doing this by myself. Come into my heart, Jesus. Save me. Change me. I'm yours, Lord. Everything that I am, everything that I'm not, all that I have, it's yours. Change me, O oh God. Forgive me of my sin. I repent and turn from my past. I turn toward you. I put my trust in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, and I live for you. In Jesus' name. All right, one more time now. Just every head still bowed. I just want to say this. Those of you that are already believers, and you've heard a fresh challenge today, every Sunday we always give people an opportunity past confessing Christ and knowing Jesus as your Savior. Even as a believer, we all need fresh starts. We need a, we need a, a recalibrating time sometimes just to get things back in tune. And this whole month's what it's been about, to see that God would touch all these areas of our lives, our physical, our spiritual, our financial, our family. But now this is the bigger picture. We're called to walk out of here with the anointing of God, appointed by God to do something to change this city. And if you've been challenged this morning, you've heard the voice of the Lord prompt you to begin to pursue what your calling is and what your destiny is and to begin to become vocal and serve first, to re reach out in love and serve people around you with every head still bowed, every eye closed. just want to ask you right now, how many of you are going to commit with a fresh start and say, God, I want, to, I want to know my mission. I want to be on mission and live gospel-centered. If you would just lift your hand right now, all over the room, I see that. Thank you. Thank you. Father, thank you for these. Thank you for a fresh start today and a new commitment to walk with you in all that you have called us to be, the appointed, anointed, called out people of God. We thank you for this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.